Let's start our time with, with prayer. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you, um, that you hear, that you speak to us in community, um, that your church was birthed in community, praying for your kingdom to come. So Lord, we just, in this space right now, we just pray for your kingdom to come, that you'd meet us right now, right here where we're at, um, and that you would show yourself strong. Um, those of us that don't know what's next or at, or at a crossroads that you'd speak profoundly to us um, about what you're doing, what you're saying, and what you want to do in our lives and in our world, Lord. So we pray, Holy Spirit, to move with power. You are welcome in this space, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're, we're as you heard, we're continuing to act, and we'll be doing this until next year and um, I just want to remind you as we go through all these different stories and we're going to meet all these different characters throughout the book of Acts that you just don't don't forget that what God's doing don't forget God's aim that he, what he's come to do is advance his mission to redeem and restore all of the earth and humanity with it C.S. Lewis says has this quote he says Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Or as my kids would say, sabotage. <laughs> and um, these, these, um, these passages are all on the, on the website. If, I turn it right down super fast. Don't worry about it. It's all on the website. Um, and so this is just a great reminder that what God's doing, that he's working through Jesus and his church to bring and restore this world, to bring his kingdom here, and that our everyday lives, that we have a part to play in God's mission in the world. Amen? And so we meet a new character today. Um, his name is, is Cornelius. And I was trying to think, do I know any Corneliuses? And I have one reference, and it's Don Cornelius from Soul Train. And it's going to go over everybody's head. None of you have watched Soul Train except maybe my wife. Yep, I was right. I was right. Someone listening to the podcast will call me and say, I got that. I got that. Um, so Cornelius, you know what? If you've never watched Soul Train, like you, like you need to like Google that, okay? The Soul Train. All right, anyways, proceed. So here's, here's Cornelius, and I'm going to tell you a few things about Cornelius, as we get into this story, it says that Cornelius is a centurion. That means that he's a leader of a hundred, and he, that, that unit was the smallest in the Roman army. And I want you to think about this unit as kind of an auxiliary unit for the Roman um, for the Roman Empire. And so um, they had a lot of, they did a lot of policing in the Jewish and Judean region. And so, and a lot of them were, some of them were not Romans. And it's some experts say after 25 years of service that they could become Roman, Roman citizens. So here's Cornelius, he's leading, he's a centurion. And um, though his characters knew, we've, we've seen centurions pop up in the New Testament. Jesus heals the centurion servant in the Gospels. And so um, what it says about this centurion, Cornelius, is that he's devout in God and a God-fearing man. And so this probably meant that he belonged to a category of people called the God-fearers, right? Not the, yeah, not the God-fearers. And so these were Gentiles who worshiped the Jewish God. They worshiped the Hebrew God, the one God, and they kept 
they kept the Mosaic law, but what kept them from being full Jewish is that they didn't take the final step in circumcision. This is what, this is what all the, the, com, the, the commentators say. And so they're, they're close. They're, they're trying to follow. They're trying to get close to God. They're trying to follow the way of the, the Jewish customs. And so here's what else it says about him. Not only is he devout and God-fearing, but verse two, in the verse 2 it says he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And so it's in other translations, it would say that he gave alms. And so that means he gave above and beyond to those in need. So he gave above and beyond to those in need. And then he prayed regularly. And for some of us, regularly is once a year or just Christmas and Easter. No, he prayed regularly every day. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at anybody in here. He, he's, he directed the desires of his heart towards God on a daily basis. So what commentators say is that he's doing the two things which rabbinical Judaism honored most, almsgiving and prayer. And this is what he's given himself to. Cornelius pursued God with, with what he knew about God. He pursued God with what he had. On what, on what was given to him, he pursued God the best that he knew how. And point number one is God sees every heart that earnestly seeks him. Amen? All right. God seeks every, sees every heart that earnestly seeks him. Nothing is out of God's periphery. No one is out of God's periphery. Hebrews 4.13 says this, nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. And so when I say God sees, I'm not saying it like how we use it. Look, I see you over there and like just let you keep walking. I, I saw that, you know, you had a flat tire and I kept going. The see, when God sees, like it means something. That means that he responds to what he sees. God responds to the hearts that earnestly seek him. Cornelius has a desire in his heart for God. He has a desire for the transcendent. He's hungry for something more. Though he has success in his world, he's got a great job with the government. He has employees. He has a family. He has finances. He has his needs taken care of. He lives in a good part of town. He owns a house. He's charitable. He has community. He's religious and moral. He's self-sufficient. But what do we find him doing? We find him praying. He has all these things in the world and what we find him doing. We find him in the afternoon praying, breaking his heart, bending his heart towards God. Cornelius is seeking, he's searching, and God meets him where he's at. Second Chronicles 16, nine says, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. The eyes of the Lord are searching the earth for hearts that are bent towards him, towards hearts that are looking and searching for him. So God sees and responds to those hearts. And so as Cornelius, this centurion guard, is, is praying, something happens in verse 3. And I don't want you to take this lightly because sometimes we're reading, okay, an angel visited him. No, wait a minute, an angel visited him. Like, like don't, don't blow past that. Because right, right before the book of Matthew, there was hundreds of years of God not speaking. 
There's hundreds of years of no angelic visitations, no prophetic words, and we have this non-Jewish, Gentile, centurion guard who's not even circumcised, praying with what he knows about who Yahweh is, who the God of the Bible is, that God sends an angelic being to meet him in his prayer time. It says that he distinctly saw an angel of God. God responds to our longings for him. If if you long for God, seek him. Why? Because God delights in hearts that pursue him. Look at verse four, the end of verse four. The angel calls him Cornelius and he says, yeah, this is me. Like, what's up? What do you, wow. And the angel answers, he says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. The, the angel is saying, God, God sees you. And not only does God see you, this is like he's using temple language, he's using a sacrificial language. He's saying that what you've done is, is as a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. And in the sacrificial system, they would sacrifice a, a lamb or a goat or turtle doves. And, it, and they would say that, that the, the, the flavor of it, the scent of it would, would be well-pleasing to God's scent, to God's smell. And he's saying right here that, that the posture of your heart is well-pleasing to God. This is it's not that Cornelius has, has earned anything and not that he's accumulated all this merit. Is that the actions of his heart God's attracted to. You with me? All right. So the angel tells him, so God, God hears you, God sees you, that your, your heart and the things that, that, are, that are flowing out of your heart are, are a, a fragrance to the Lord. And he's saying, God is saying, send some of your, your servants to go to um, Joppa to find Peter, Simon Peter, and, uh, and, go, and go get him, have them get Peter and bring him back. Now, we've been in church long enough. We've heard these stories over and over again. We're like, yeah, 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 we know the end of the story. But I just want you to get this. Like, you don't know God. This angelic being comes to you, and all he says is, go send some of your people to go get this guy Peter and bring him back to you. doesn't say why or what will happen when Peter comes. And, uh, and what we get from Cornelius, we don't hear any words, but we know that he sent them off. And so Cornelius obeys and he responds with a yes, Lord. He doesn't know the outcome. He doesn't know what's going to come of this, but he responds in obedience. And point number two is our desire for God requires a step of faith. So I, I don't, I, we're going to get through two characters in this story, and I don't know who you are in this story, but if you are Cornelius seeking God, I can guarantee you that God is probably whispering something to you about what you need to step out into next or what you need to step away from next, and you don't know what that's going to mean. You don't know the implication that is for your life, but it's a step of faith that God's calling you to for that desire that you have of him. Man, I might be preaching better, man, than you're responding, but maybe I'm not. I don't know. Is there anybody? Can I get a little amen? All right, amen. Okay. All right, God is good. All right. And so our story moves 30 miles south from Caesarea to Joppa. They're along to along the coast, and this is where we find good old Peter that Manny preached about last week, who God just used profoundly in the Jewish community. community. And, and like Cornelius praying, we find Peter praying. 
Acts 10 verses 9, this is about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. And it was common for the people of God to pray three times a day. You see Daniel praying three times a day, and they're trying to stop Daniel from praying three times a day. Peter continues that practice of prayer while as a follower of Jesus. And I can just, I'm going to imagine what Peter's praying, if you, if you give me that freedom and that right. I believe that Peter's probably on that roof praying, thank you, God, for all you're doing. God, is, God just did something amazing in Joppa. He healed someone from the dead, out of their bed, off of their mat. He's changing people's lives. The gospel is going forward. So I can imagine you. Thank you, God, for all you're doing. Thank you for all you've done. Do God, do it again. Let your kingdom come in Joppa as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come to every region in the Middle East and beyond. Let your kingdom come to every group of people, every tribe, every race, every color, every language. Let your kingdom come to the world. And while he's praying, it says that at the end of verse 10, that he falls into a trance. He's, he's on the roof, and he's praying to God, and he, and he, he enters what we call a, a visionary state. And I'm not going to try to explain it all, because I've never been in one before. And I, Even these commentators, they've never been in one, so they can't really tell you what it's like. It's a visionary state, okay? <laughs> he's standing. Here's the words they try to use. He's standing outside of himself. He's passed out of himself. It's this word, trance, is where we get the word ecstasy. So he's in some semi-conscious mental state. I don't even know if that helps. But I'm just letting you, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. He's outside of himself. Something profound is happening with him and God. And here's the, here's the point, is that God wants to show him something. He wants to show him something he's never seen before. He wants to open his eyes to some reality of God's kingdom that he wants to bring to Joppa, that he wants to bring to his world. Verses 11 and 12 says this, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. This, this is the image that God gives him. This is, he, this is the image he's saying that's going to break into your reality. And I'm sure if you, if you watch it, you go, I don't really understand what that means. Peter's having an out-of-body experience, and God has shown him an array of animals, reptiles, and birds. What, what does this mean? What does this have to do with what I just prayed about your kingdom coming? Oh, yeah, Peter, this has everything to do about what my king, where my kingdom is coming. He, God tells Peter, he says this, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now understand at this moment, if, I, if I'm going to speak for myself, if, if I'm hungry and I'm on the roof and God is showing me a smorgasbord, and he says, kill and eat, yes, Lord. <laughs> Even if it's salad, yes, Lord. <laughs> and I, what, I, what, I, what I want you to understand about a first century Jewish um, someone in the Jewish community, to touch and eat an animal was no thoughtless act. It was very purposeful what they ate, what they drank, and the things that they engaged in. And so Peter's first answer to this sail, the sheet that comes down that's full of all types of reptiles and birds and animals, is surely not, Lord. Surely not, Lord. He's saying, God, I gotta stop you there. I was, I was with you all the way up until you said, eat these reptiles and birds. 
And I want you to remember the last time that Peter told Jesus, surely not, that, that Jesus corrected him. And when he says, surely not, he's, he's saying, by no means, Lord. By no means have I ever eaten anything unholy or unclean. By no means, Lord, will I make myself unholy and unclean by partaking in this type of food. In other, way, in other words, no way, no how. I prefer not to, Lord. This is what he's saying. I mean, first of all, no Lord is an oxymoron, just for, just for starters. So surely not Lord is kind of contradictory statement right there. But he's telling, God allows him to respond, and this is his response. I prefer not to. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. One commentator says this, with horror, he's talking about Peter. He sees that it is full of unclean animals, creatures which the Jewish law forbids him to eat. But as he looks... A voice challenges the habit of a lifetime. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Jesus, in the Gospels, specifically dealt with this issue. In Mark 7, he tells them, Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So the voice spoke to Peter the second time. It says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And it says, for three times, Peter said, surely not, Lord, by no means. Point number three, our hearts are not always in agreement with what we think, believe, or pray. That there's things that, that we believe about God, that we say about God, that we pray into, but we actually are not really there. We're not actually in agreement. Peter is, is to be a witness for Jesus. He's calling him Lord, and, he's, and Jesus, his Lord is telling him to kill and eat, and he's saying no. He's not actually in agreement with his Lord. And these things keep us from seeing things the way God sees things. See, because God has something to show Peter. This is why he's in this visionary state. God has something to show Peter. Peter thinks that he has these certain areas in his, in his life right and that he doesn't need correction and that he doesn't need that the Lord to change and point his heart in a new direction. And this is what God's doing here in this moment. This is not just about Cornelius. God has something to show Peter. Are you with me? And the more that God pushes, the more that it reveals how much Peter's heels are pushed into the ground on the issue. God repeats himself three times, not just to emphasize importance, but for Peter to relent. Remember three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep, feed my lamb. Peter, kill and eat, not so, Lord. Peter, kill and eat, not so, Lord. What, Pete, what, what Jesus wants Peter to do is to really see how stubborn his heart is and to hold his heart up against the heart of God and respond and see that he is not in line. We can love and be so committed to God that we can be rigid to his ways. Man, you guys are not picking this up. There has, okay, has anyone ever said, I love you so much, I'm doing this for your benefit. You're like, man, that doesn't really feel like love, man. I don't really feel, I feel like you're doing that for yourself. 
And Peter's saying, no, Lord, no, Lord, I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm not going to eat this. And, and the glory of God is saying, eat this for the glory of God. And he's saying, not so, Lord, for the glory of God. We can be so committed to God that we can be rigid and blind to the ways of God right here in our lives. And I'm trying to preach this thing right now. In what ways in your life are you saying, surely not, Lord? Man, I know that God is speaking to you. I know that God's calling you to things and that you know even right now. And you're like, surely not, Lord. I don't think I want to take that step. One commentator says, here was the one place where Peter was being scrupulous beyond the will of God. Peter's yes, Lord, quickly become not so Lord once God challenges his preferences and prejudices. And he, and he veils it with religion. He said, I don't want to be unclean, Lord. See, we talk about being unclean and, and we're talking about the economy of the kingdom of God. Being unclean bars you from closeness to God. So the point of being clean has to do with being near to God and the configuration of your heart and being obedient to him so you can be with him because you love him. It's not really about food. And so if God is near and he's saying eat and you say no to God, then there must be something else other than nearness to God that you've just made an idol in your life. There's some, there must be something else that you're allowing to usurp your relationship with God. Willie Jennings says this, thus to eat the animals that were associated with a people was to move into their space of living, a space of people and animals. Peter associated these different foods with different ethnic groups, different social classes, non-Jewish community. And so to eat that food was to associate with other people. Jewish people and their non-Jewish neighbors, these rules created a divide between Jewish and non-Jewish around table fellowship because of what they ate. See, this, this is an important moment for the church, for this church right here. This is an important mo moment for the Apostle Peter. Peter, Because this, this is a confrontation of the old and the new tearing away at the walls of social hierarchies. Willie Jennings says that God's timing is purposeful. This is a purposeful um, time right now for, the, for this young church. And I would say to us today, the church, we are in an important moment. God has given us a vision of his kingdom and what he wants to do in the world. And we pray these audacious prayers in church and at camps and at retreats and at conferences to reach the world. But our hearts aren't always in agreement with those prayers. Why? And I, I'm going to put my name in there because I want it to happen on my terms and in my conditions. And so it says in verse 17, while Peter is, is wondering about the vision that God's spirit tells him that there are some men that are looking for him and that he should go with them. In verse 20, he says, so get up, go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. Our desires for God will have to take a step of faith. Often being led by the Spirit will feel inconvenient or incomplete or incompatible to our preferences. Peter, right now on the roof, was thinking one thing. I just want to go to lunch right now. I just, and I want to eat lunch with my Jewish brothers and sisters. 
And God is, inter- is interrupting, is making it inconvenient. It's, it's incompatible with his preferences right now. Go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them. I've sent them. And then Peter, to his credit, was willing to submit his plans and preferences to trust what God was doing in this Roman guard. And understand, these guards, they policed Jewish cities. And so don't miss it. There could be some, some beef, some tension, some, some despising. Following Jesus is, is about transforming our inward parts. It's not about outward religious conformity. Jesus wants to get at the most deepest parts of our hearts. See, the, the gospel that, that we talk about here is not just going to heaven when we die. It's God's kingdom coming here, being made visible in our lives. This is why we can't separate reconciliation from the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. Like, this is, this is not an elective, like, oh, yeah, we should, we should do some, some reconciliation work. No, this is the gospel. This is at the core of the gospel, and this is what's coming to Peter's front door, that God's about to reconcile the world to himself. God calls the apostle Peter because this is the one that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon. Call him Rock. Call him Peter. He says, I've given you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom. And if he's given this person the keys to the kingdom and this is what he's building his church upon, then he's dealing with Peter's heart. and He's going to he's tearing down his walls of separation, prejudice, culture, and class. Now, listen, this doesn't mean that Peter doesn't have any ethnic identity It's just that your ethnic identity no longer separates you or makes you better or less than anyone else because Jesus is Lord. And we are to literally open our doors for those who are different than us so they can encounter Jesus. And simultaneously, we open our hearts and that our surely nots begin to be transformed to surely Lord. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean that we don't have any biases. It doesn't mean that automatically I've said the prayer that all my prejudices go away. But guess what? The power to expel those things from my heart and transform it for brotherly and sisterly love is present. And you think about our world today, it's deeply divided and we pray for God. God, you gotta do something, it's overwhelming. I don't know what to do. And I think what God is saying in this passage is open your doors, get up, go to Caesarea. I'm speaking to people. I'm working through people. And oftentimes our doors are closed to others and our doors are closed to what God is saying for us to go and do. Peter still doesn't completely understand. In church, I just want you to understand this is not a message about tolerance. Jesus told Peter to eat and break bread with those that are different from you. This is not just for Cornelius. God is breaking down the walls between Jewish and Gentile. He's not saying, no, just cope with them. He's like, no, break bread with them. No, not, no, they don't just have a different service in the evening time. Oh, that's a Gentile service. No, <laughs> that's a Gentile potluck. We're going to the Jewish potluck. He said, no, we're breaking that down. One humanity. Peter still doesn't understand. I don't think completely, and that's fine as long as he keeps going. And so these gentlemen come to his house, and he asks them what they want. And he said, we've come to take you to Cornelius so he can hear what you have to say. And the last verse says this, verse 23. I I want you to look at it slowly. Then Peter invited the man into the house 
to be his guest. This seems like an anticlimactic ending to this story, but there's so much going on here. Peter invites them in. Here's what one commentator says. When Peter entertained them as guests, he performed a culturally significant act denoting acceptance. N.T. Wright says this, it's not the case then that God simply accepts us as we are. He invites us as we are. He's inviting these men into his home. Like you gotta understand like the, the, the requirements for ancient Eastern hospitality was now that this lunch that Peter's been waiting for now gets broken with these men who are at his door that sit around his table. God is working in the hearts of people outside the church to draw them to himself and he wants to work through us, his church, to advance his mission. So maybe, maybe we turn off our headphones. Maybe we give some eye contact on, on the train. Maybe we take a, a different route that may feel less convenient. Maybe we invite someone over. Maybe we accept the invitation from the person that we normally say no to and go over their house. My, my guess is that God has placed a Cornelius somewhere in the sphere of your life. And this, see at the table, is where God breaks down our walls. I believe as they're breaking bread around the table, I believe Peter's heart was transformed for these Gentile people that he's been trying to separate himself from. That kill and eat was about God's heart for the world. And Peter and the church are opening its doors for the spirit of God to move into the world. God will put things on our hearts that we don't fully understand until we take a step of faith. And so where you find yourself right now is not an accident. God has put you here. He's positioned you here in this city for this time to be a witness for him. It's not just about your classes right now or the job that you have right now. Those are important. Be faithful to them. But God has called you here. He's put you here. And there's people around you for you to declare the goodness of God, to tear down walls and to be a reconciled people in a world that's hostile and divided and, and again, pits against one another. And that's the image and, and the vision that Jesus has for his church. Amen? So let's be those people. We pray for us. Father, thank you for your word that it's alive and that it's active. Um, may your kingdom come here in Boston as it is in heaven. God, I pray that you give us courage and boldness um, to follow you. God, may our tables and our living rooms be places of reconciliation. May they be places that reflect your kingdom, Lord. God, may this, may Boston be known about the kingdom. May Boston be known for the good things that God is doing through his church. And God, I pray that we would trust you, follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.